As Jesus' disciples, we are to let our lights shine before the world as witnesses to Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, where we have already considered your call, that your disciples are to be salt to this world. And now today, Father, we consider your disciples as light to the world. And we pray, O oh God, that you might shed your light upon us even now, that we would understand your word, that we would heed your call, that we would rely on your grace, that we as your people in this world, pilgrims heading to a greater land, would shine brightly for Christ. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, would you follow along as I read? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word revive our souls this morning. You may be seated. Thus far in this sermon series entitled A Portrait of a Disciple, Jesus has shown us what his disciples are meant to be as he has described that in the eight characteristics that comprise the Beatitudes. And after Jesus taught what his disciples are meant to be, he turned to teach how his disciples are meant to live as they live out the Beatitudes in this world. And as we studied last week, Jesus said his disciples are meant to be salt, and as we'll consider today, his disciples are meant to be light. And as we discussed last week, and I'll remind us today, that when Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 to his Father in heaven, he asked for many things for his disciples. But he also asked this particular thing. Jesus prayed, Father, I do not ask you to take my disciples out of the world. My disciples are sent to the world as I have been sent. Father, I pray that you would protect my disciples as they live in this world. So it is very clear that the church is meant to be in the world. And today we will consider the church is meant to be in the world and to be very much before others. Remember that, before others, before the world. Last week, again, looking at salt, today, light, and there'll be three aspects that we will consider 
with regards to Jesus saying, let your light shine, you are the light of the world. First, we'll look at Jesus is the light. Secondly, we'll look at the fact that Jesus' disciples are to reflect his light. And then thirdly, we'll consider as Jesus' disciples reflect his light to the world, they serve as witnesses to the light. So we'll look at those three things today. Again, as Jesus' disciples, we are to let our lights shine before the world as witnesses to Christ. The light has come to this spiritually dark world, and the light is Jesus. Several years ago, I joined our youth group here at Covenant as we journeyed up to northwest Arkansas to explore a cave. And the youth leader at the time of Covenant Presbyterian in Fayetteville, and he is today a very experienced spelunker, and he served as our guide as our youth group journeyed in to the innermost parts of one of the popular caves for spelunkers outside of Fayetteville. And I remember Pete taking us a good distance back into the cave where I realized that I do have just a tad bit of claustrophobia. Why caves, why you can't walk upright through a cave, I can't figure that out. But he took us back and then he said, everyone turn off your lights. And I very rarely in my lifetime have ever experienced what I would describe as utter darkness. But I experienced utter darkness. It was so dark that holding my hand right in front of my face, I could not see it. And I had two impressions. One impression that came over me was what it must feel like to be physically blind, where your eyes are wide open, but there is darkness. You cannot see the hand that is in front of your face. Another impression that I had in that dark place was what it might be like to be spiritually blind. Blind to my sin and everyone else's sin. Blind to my responsibility before the Creator to worship Him and honor Him. Blind to my need of light. Blind to my need of a Savior. Blind to the fact that God's Word is authoritative. It is true truth as Schaefer said. Blind to Christ the light, even blind to the fact that I would be in darkness, spiritual darkness that prevails over this fallen world. Those who are spiritually blind don't even see their blindness. They realize they're in darkness but they're in desperate need for the light of Jesus. The implication of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, the implication is that the world is darkness. 
that darkness encompasses this fallen world. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But here's the good news of the Bible. God in his mercy has not left mankind in the dark. The light has come to push back the darkness in this physical world and in the hearts of sinners. Jesus came as the true light. We read this last week in Isaiah 49, verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And in the Gospel of John, John records John the Baptist who serves for us as an example of what Jesus is talking about in verses 14 through 16 that his disciples are the light of the world. They reflect the light of Christ to the world because that's what John the Baptist did. We read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Of course, that light is Jesus. And then in Matthew, we read this about the light. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And Jesus himself identified as the light. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light came to the people in order to save people out of the darkness. Jesus said in John 14, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is the greatest news inhabitants of a dark cave without a flashlight. This is the greatest news inhabitants of a dark world that are spiritually blind might hear. In fact, it's the news we've heard, and it still should resonate in our minds and in our hearts as the greatest news, the greatest word that we have ever heard. Let me ask you this question. Have you lost the wonder of the gospel? Does the fact that Jesus came to this dark world to bring sinners out of the darkness... Does it still excite you in your inner being? 
If it doesn't, my friend, you've lost the joy of what Christ has done for you. We should be, every time we hear that Jesus came as the light to bring us, to free us from the kingdom of darkness, it should excite our souls. It should cause us to rejoice and to give thanks. It should enliven us to shine even brighter for Jesus. We are privileged as Jesus' disciples to be witnesses to his light that frees blind, the blind from darkness. Jesus is the light. He is the source of illumination. His light pushes back the darkness in this world and in our hearts. His light illuminates the way out of darkness. His, his radiance and marvelous light is the light of life, even eternal life. And because he is the light, as his disciples, we have the privilege of letting our light shine before the world as witnesses to Christ. Jesus' disciples, however, are not the light. But we are meant to reflect the light to the world. This is how our lights shine as reflectors. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse is credited for saying this. It's a great analogy of the Christian who reflects the source, the light of Christ. Barnhouse said, when Christ was in the world, he was a bit like the sun, which is here by day and gone at night. But when the sun goes down, the moon comes up. And the moon is a picture of the church, believers. It shines, but it does not shine by its own light. It shines only because it reflects the light of the sun. That's what Jesus is calling us to be in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He's calling us to be the moon that reflects the light of the sun upon the earth throughout the world. Jesus said this, and I believe that Barnhouse's analogy helps us understand what Jesus says in John 12, 35 through 36. He said this, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So here's my understanding of this in light of what Jesus says, understood through the analogy that Barnhouse has helped us see uh, today. That the light came and lived and ministered amongst us, walked on this earth, the light Jesus. And that light was crucified, died, and buried according to the very plan of the Father. And when it would appear that the light Jesus, that light had been extinguished, 
But we know he was not because he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father. There is a day coming in the future when he will come again and bring all things to his completion. He will judge the living and the dead. But until that time, between his ascension and his second coming, he has left a witness of his light. He has left reflectors here on earth that reflect the true light Jesus to the world until he comes again. And those reflectors are what he calls in John 12, sons of light, you and me, disciples. As Barnhouse says, sons of light are like the moon, reflecting the light of Christ to this world. Before, but here's, here's a question. Or let me say, here is a, a reality that is true. Before we can be reflectors of the light of Christ, we must be brought into the light of Christ. We have to be made sons of light. How are we made sons of light? How are we brought out of darkness into his marvelous light, as Peter says in chapter 2 of his epistle? It is by being united to Christ in saving faith. It is by God the Holy Spirit giving us a new nature. God the Holy Spirit giving us spiritual sight. Blind Bartimaeus was blind, but Jesus gave him new sight, and it pictures what Jesus does when he brings his saving grace upon us when we are regenerated and we're able to see spiritually and we're united to Christ in saving faith. We're given the ability to repent, to see our sin, to see Christ as the light, to flee to him in, in faith. We need to be reminded that it is a work of God that brings us out of the darkness into the light. It is the work of God that makes us sons of light. And we have to have that gracious, merciful work of God in uniting us to Christ and saving faith before we can ever reflect the light of Christ. We must be made sons of God, brought into the marvelous light of Christ. Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Our call to worship this morning was from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And just to remind us of that again, which beautifully points to the sovereign work of God in choosing sinners to be brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ to be made sons of light. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, mercy is the critical and determinative element of that great work of God. We are called, 
we are shown mercy. We are brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. Many of us here this morning have experienced that. Amen? We have been brought out of darkness. God has enabled us to see light, the light of Christ, and that we would flee to him. We have been united to Christ in saving faith. And as we have been brought into this marvelous light of Christ, and every time we're reminded of that, it should cause us to rejoice and to be grateful and to be humble that God has shown us such mercy. And that should cause us to resolve more and more to shine brightly for Christ, to be sons and daughters of light who reflect the light of Christ to the world. Some here today and maybe some listening and watching online may still be in darkness. And today I offer you the good news of the gospel. That the light has come. The light has shone brightly in this dark world. And would you turn to the true light? Would you see your sin and repent of it? Would you see Jesus as the light, the way, the life, and turn to him and find freedom from the darkness, find the peace and joy and hope of living in his marvelous light? Would you consider turning to Jesus and finding that you are no longer a son or daughter of darkness, but a son or daughter of the light. Jesus is the true light. His disciples are sons of light who reflect the light of Christ to the world. And they reflect the light of Christ to the world as witnesses of the true light, Jesus. I find Jesus focusing in verse 13 with regards to his disciples being salt, that his disciples benefit culture. They season culture as salt, as they're shaken and poured out, as they're taken off that shelf, as they're in culture, they season culture with the satisfying taste of Jesus. They make people thirsty for Jesus because of, of living the Christian life in a winsome way and, and they retard sin in this world as preservatives and antiseptics. And now in verses 14 through 16, we find Jesus saying that there's another way that my disciples will influence the world. They will influence the world as light. Let your light shine. The main part of the campus of my seminary, Gordon-Conwell, that is in the, the town of South Hamilton, 25 miles north of Boston on the North Shore, is an, a, a place that is that every time I think about Gordon-Conwell, I think about this passage. 
The main building of the campus is the Care Building, and it, it sets atop a hill. The whole seminary, the main campus, sets on a hill overlooking the, the town of South Hamilton. Atop the Care Building is a steeple, and atop the steeple is a cross. Just think of our steeple and cross on this sanctuary. The only difference is the cross on the steeple of the Care Building is illuminated at night. And the light of that cross can be seen from a great distance. It's up on a hill. It is not hidden. The seminary orientation is emblematic to me of what Jesus is teaching about you are the light of the world. What, what is necessary to shine before others? may seem like a foolish question to ask. Of course, what is necessary to shine before others is we cannot be hidden. We have to be up and out so that we are seen in the midst of culture. First, our Lord said in verse 14, a disciple is to relate to the world like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The care building of Gordon-Conwell is plainly visible especially at night, where you can actually see the lights of the seminary as well as the cross from all over that area of the North Shore. Second, Jesus said in verse 15, his disciples are meant to relate to the world as a lamp on a stand that gives light to the whole house, to everyone in, in the house. And in Jesus' day, a room would be lit up with just a small oil lamp that was always elevated, set on a stand, to maximize the light throughout that particular room. A small village secluded in a valley is hidden. And a small village secluded in a valley is not before others. We are to be like a city on a hill, not a small village in a valley. In fact, if we choose to be a small village in a valley, we are choosing to be at odds with the very purpose of how a disciple is to relate to the world. We are not to be hidden. We are not to be secluded. We are to be before others. And I have a question for you and for me. In what ways do we choose to withdraw from the world and be at odds with Jesus' purposes for his disciples, choosing to be a small village in a valley and not a city on a hill? What must we confess? The ways that we withdraw and hide our light of witness to the world. To put a lamp that is lit under a basket makes absolutely no sense at all unless you want to catch the basket on fire. It is absurd to choose to be a lamp under 
a basket as well as choosing to be a small village in a valley defeats the very purpose of Jesus in calling his disciples to relate to the world as light. Christ's disciples are meant to be on a stand, not under a basket, to let their light shine before others. But how can we choose to hide our lights as if placing a basket over our witness? How can we choose to hide our light from those with whom we work amongst our neighbors and friends, at school, in culture. What do we need to confess in hiding our light under a basket instead of letting our light shine on a stand? Where must we repent? Well, Jesus further tells us why we must let our light shine before others. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Likewise, in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing that ye may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then we've been looking in several points today at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10, our call to worship. I read it earlier about God's sovereignty in calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, in verses 11 through 12 that come after the passages that we've already read today, Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We live, we let our light shine. We reflect the light of Christ that others may turn to him, even praise the glory of God. We are sent into the world to let our lights shine, to be on a hill like a city, to be on a stand like a lamp. May we ever plead with God to get us out of the valley. May we ever plead with God to get us out from under that basket so that we can shine for him. May our little lights, our little lights, our little lights that represent a life of holiness, a life of faithfulness to Christ, our little lights that represent faithful worship, our little lights that represent love for God and love for our neighbor, our little lights that represent living out the Beatitudes, our little lights that represent living a righteous life, a humble life, a life of thanksgiving as those who have been called out of darkness into the light. May we light up the way to Jesus as his disciples to let their light shine before the world 
as a witness of Christ. And I just want to conclude as we consider that Jesus is the light, that we are reflectors of the light, that as reflectors we are witnesses. There, there is an infinite number of applications that can be made at this point. And I'm going to make just one. The one application I made last week had to do with how can we season this world in light of the chaos of this election season. And today, I make a similar application and a confession. I have been challenged of late with keeping my hope founded on Christ and not on who the president will be, on how the Congress will be composed, on how all of that will affect the economy. Irrespective of how this election ultimately unfolds, irrespective of who in our government has control of the, of the levers of power, how it affects our economy, letting our light shine before others, in, in light of all the, the chaos that has been, and Jim, you said it, 2020, my goodness, what a year. And it's still, what a year. But in light of all of that, as we are called to be like a city on the hill, visible to everybody, as we're called to be a lamp on a, on a stand, our light's just going out and radiating, illuminating the world. What does the world desperately need to see from the church? What should be above? I mean, there are many things that should define our witness at this moment to the world. Please don't get me wrong. This is just one, but I think this might be one of the chief opportunities we have to witness the light of Christ to this world in this most chaotic time. What does the world need to see from believers like you and me, from the church? And I'll tell you what has been impressed upon my heart is this. Jim read it. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The Lord will reign, say it, forever. Amen. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, Praise the Lord. Our witness as Jesus' disciples is the witness of the psalmist in Psalm 146. Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is not in human government, even the human government that God has ordained. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord because 
unlike sinful, weak, limited, and imperfect men who are faulty and unreliable as a foundation of any hope, our Lord is the sovereign creator, king, judge, and savior, the only one on whom our hope should rest. Our hope is in the Lord who sovereignly reigns over all to all generations. Our hope is in the Lord who created all and keeps faith. He fulfills all of his promises. Our hope is in the Lord who perfectly cares for the weak, for the oppressed, for the hungry, for the prisoner, for the blind, for the lowly, for the sojourner, for the widow, for the fatherless. Government tries to do all of those things and they miserably fail. Our God cares for the weak. Our hope is in the Lord who will not allow the wicked to go unpunished, but will vindicate his people in the day to come and pour out his wrath upon the wicked. Our hope is in the Lord who cares for weak sojourners like you and me, who cares for frail pilgrims like you and me, who are in this foreign land heading to our home on the other side of Canaan. Our hope is in him, our Lord, who will care for his church in this world. Let us seek the Lord to empower us that our lights would shine before this world as a witness that our hope is in the Lord who reigns forever. Praise the Lord. As Jesus' disciples, we are to let our light shine before the world as a witness to Christ. May we reflect the glory of our God. May we reflect hope in the Lord. Let us pray. God our Father, we come before you asking for your grace and asking for your mercy. Oh, Father, you have brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. You have called us to shine brightly for Jesus in this world. We readily admit our failures, but now we ask you, O oh Lord, to pour out your mercy and grace upon us, that we would be enlivened to be how we are meant to be, to live how we are meant to live, to relate to this world how we are meant to relate to this world, not only as salt, but also as light. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to live on top of that hill, brightly shining for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would lead us out from under that basket to the stand, brightly shining for Jesus, and that our lives might be a testimony, a witness to him through this dark and needy world. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.